making that commitment makes kind of everything, or at least I find makes everything flow from there. It's like, okay, I'm going to be doing this race. And so I know that I'm going to be putting in the miles day in and day out to get there. And organizing is kind of similar, especially organizing around an election where it's like, all right, we're going ham until election day. We're going to we're going to stack the hay in the barn and we're going to give it everything we've got and leave, leave everything out there on the course. Welcome to For the Long Run, the podcast exploring the why behind what keeps runners running long, strong, and motivated. I'm your host, Jonathan Levitt. Through personal and professional connections in the running world, I have the privilege of getting to know some amazing athletes. I've always been fascinated by the psychological aspects of running and what helps people to achieve success, however they define it, And this podcast is aimed at exploring this and much more. I hope you enjoy. Tracksmith is an independent running brand inspired by a deep love of the sport. When gifting for the runners in your life or for yourself this season, versatility and durability are paramount. For several months, I've been living in my Horizon long sleeve from Tracksmith. This quick drying poly cotton blend shirt is a whisper light part of my wardrobe that I like to wear on its own or layer over base layer in colder temperatures. During the month of December, visit tracksmith.com slash FTLR and use code FTLR at checkout for free shipping and to support Bigger Than The Trail. Bigger Than The Trail is a nonprofit organization that is using trail running as a platform to advocate for mental health. This episode is brought to you by Freedom Solar Power, the company I use to go solar on my house. Go solar this year and you'll get to take advantage of the 30%, yep, that's new, federal tax credit next year. It's time to break free from rising electricity costs. When I first started looking into solar, I thought it would be a clunky and expensive process. Going solar isn't as hard as you think it is, and Freedom Solar is a turnkey solution focused on educating the consumer and making sure they have all the information they need to make sure going solar is right for them, both financially and as a way to help the planet. Freedom Solar operates in Texas, Colorado, Virginia, Florida, and now North Carolina too. There are plenty of other great options nationwide. I have a super important question for you. Are you giving your body the nutrients it needs to help bolster and protect your immune system? How do you know? Friends, I'm here to help you eliminate the guesswork with two products that have had a huge impact on keeping me healthy and strong during my training and races that I strongly encourage you to try. Prevenex Probiotic and Prevenex Immune Health Plus are powerhouse products that can help you perform at your best and keep you healthy, especially as we move into a season where bugs that can take you down are everywhere. Use code FTLR for 15% off your purchase at Prevenex.com. That's P-R-E-V-I-N-E-X.com. Stay tuned after this episode to hear a listener's question answered. Welcome back. I have Canyon Woodward joining me on the podcast today. Canyon, thanks so much for uh, for taking some time to chat. Thanks a ton for having me. This is exciting. Of course. So the first question is always a tough one. Uh, who is Canyon? <laughs> oh God, <laughs> um, man. So yeah, let's see. I I'm the youngest of of four. Grew up in rural Western North Carolina, the kind of the southern tip of the Appalachians. Um, and grew up outdoors, outdoors a ton. Um, got into running a little bit in high school, and and really mostly in the past like six years or so. And somewhere along the way, got got really into climate activism, organizing um, to try and get Harvard to divest from fossil fuel companies, and then from there, kind of jumped into a lot of electoral politics and. That's been a big focus of my life these past years. Um, so those are a couple of the things that make up Canyon, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. And uh, what a time to be involved in the environmental aspect of politics and the environmental aspect uh, in general. Um, where did where did that interest begin? Yeah, man, it is it is such a time to be involved. Um, <laughs> 
in, in good ways and bad ways. Um, oh man. But I'd say it goes back, you know, my name's Canyon. My siblings are Rivers Forest and Autumn. You can probably guess there's a little bit of a environmental outdoors bent from, from the get go in our upbringing. Um, super, super cool, funky parents. Um, so I think I had something of an environmental awareness and ethic growing up. And then, you know, being from a, a rural area, we had a lot of issues as a kid of like acid rain was a thing and, you know, coal mining, mountaintop removal, a lot of backyard stuff that was really intrusive. And then um, I think a growing awareness of the global water crisis and how how climate change is driving us towards towards some really really scary places, especially as it related to water is kind of, kind of how I started diving deep into it. And when I got to college in 2011, um, the Keystone XL pipeline fight was really heating up, um, which became a huge organizing point for environmental activists all, all over. And um, I got to get involved a little bit with that on campus doing organizing organizing work around that and then from there kind of led into this fossil fuel divestment campaign um and that's i kind of half joked but mostly serious so that was that was the bulk of my education in college was organizing on the divestment campaign yeah i want to dive a lot more into that um i think we're at this interesting point in time where people are feeling like they're actions don't have a huge impact right like it's the kind of thing where if you if everyone recycles it makes a difference but like if you pick up this one piece of plastic and put it in a recycling bin what is the impact it has and then on the flip side we're looking at water consumption and we're looking like i live in colorado and i was just able to remodel my yard to basically reduce water consumption by 50 percent and that to me, like that feels like something that is making an impact, is sustainable. I put solar on the roof. I, you know, put yeah. um, insulation in the attic. And, and like these are the kinds of things that to me, like it feels like it's more impactful than like I like to drink seltzer and I, I go through a lot of cans, but I, I don't feel like that's recycling those cans is it's like a baseline thing to do, but it doesn't feel like, you know, Let's let's all recycle. Uh, am I wrong on that? Am I thinking about it in in the right way in terms of like magnitude of impact? Curious, curious your thoughts there. Yeah, I think I think that's a really important part of the conversation. Is kind of you, you mentioned the like feeling of helplessness a little bit. Like like what can I do in the magnitude of a problem like climate change is so hard, and it's something that I think. I would imagine most of us struggle with to to some extent. Um, it's not like you know the river in my community is polluted, so let's like tackle this tangible problem that we can see in the backyard. It's like this is massive. This is you know a challenge on the scale that that humans haven't really faced before. That's um, going to take yeah just wild wild action to to address and i think in terms of the like what can i do conversation it it becomes just like looking at what are what are the levers that you as an individual have access to and thinking about those i like to think of it less on the individual like recycling being vegetarian etc like those are things those are things that I try and do because they do have some impact if they're added up over lots of people. Um, but I think a big shift for me was realizing that, you know, this, because of the magnitude of the crisis that we were facing, it requires huge systemic change. And so that's largely looking at government action, legislation, um, like the Inflation Reduction Act is a big unexpected step in the right direction we need way way more but because of the scale of the problem it requires systemic solutions and um and that that's really hard but it's also an opportunity to step up and you know look at what are the institutions that i'm a part of 
the United States as a whole. It's a big one. Like, how can how can I take action politically? And then, um, like with divestment, that was a big thing. Is like I'm part of this huge university that has a forty billion dollar endowment that's invested in oil and gas companies. So, what can we do to pressure it to to put its money where its mouth is? Um, and I think just like the last thing on the individual versus systemic, just like zooming way out, it's important to look at. It's a fact that the oil and gas industry has poured millions and millions of dollars into climate disinformation and a targeted campaign to like put the onus on individuals to be like, what's your carbon footprint? What are you doing to address this crisis? You know, are you recycling? Are you making the right consumer choices, which are valid questions, but it's a deliberate attempt to shift the blame from the huge emitters, which are the fossil fuel companies, onto us and our little choices. That's such a fascinating repositioning of it because the way I've thought about it is like the little activities versus the big activities. Like to me, the little activities are the recycling it's eating more plant-based, it's doing these types of things. And the big activities are, you know, the water mitigation and uh, insulating the attic properly and and putting solar on my roof. And the way that you frame it is like, okay, those big things are interesting, but like we must create systemic ability to have those things happen at scale. So you mentioned the Inflation Reduction Act. I believe the... um, the solar credit went from 26% to 30% in that, in that act, which was a huge win. And so like I put solar on in this previous winter into this spring and like, it's an extra thousand dollars in my pocket that I didn't do anything for, which is a suggestion of, you know, other people, you know, take advantage of that 30% credit. And it's cool to see the ability to influence at scale by making things like that more accessible that I'm in Boulder County and uh, Boulder County offers a free sprinkler system audit. And the sole intention is to reduce water consumption. And so this was, this was flagged in my water bill, like call us up, we'll come to your house and we'll reduce consumption. And so I had somebody come over and he didn't, he didn't change the yard. He just changed the timing the direction and made it a little more efficient and reduced the consumption by 36%, uh, according to his report, just from 45 minutes here. And it's so like, somebody should be incentivizing that, like get a hundred bucks if um, it was free. So that, that was nice. And then we've, we've talked a lot about solar. Freedom Solar is a sponsor of this podcast. And I chose to work with them because I was so frustrated at how simple the process was with solar and how economically viable it was. Like right. if you choose the yeah. financing route, you're paying less in month one forever. <laughs> it's like, it's yeah. so simple. And and I was like, I must tell people this. Like this is <laughs> an obligation I now feel I have. Um, and so to those listening, again, obviously this is a you know sponsored plug, but it's also... I feel so strongly about it. Like those that live in North Carolina, Florida, uh, Virginia, Texas, and Colorado, like these guys are awesome. And they're, they're, it's a for-profit business, but their mission is so, uh, so important and, and so like real. Um, not to go on too much of a tangent there, but um, yeah, it's just a fascinating way to, to think about personal responsibility versus, um, systemic responsibility. And so I think that these are the types of conversations that allow us to vote in different ways and consider who we're putting into positions of power uh, and and truly allows us to vote with our dollars instead of like when you walk into the supermarket, are you buying tofu or are you buying beef? Uh, which added up, yeah, it has an impact. But when you multiply the influence over 300 million Americans, now we're talking. Totally. Yeah. I think you, you hit it right on the head. You know, going out and buying a Tesla as an individual, that's great if you can afford it, but it's not gonna solve the problem. But if we can pass legislation that makes it make sense economically for everyone to buy electric cars 
for folks to get heat pumps in their house, for folks to get their sprinkler system audited and, and insulation upgraded on, on a wide scale, then, then it begins to have, have a big impact. So how do you use running as your vehicle for this type of influence? I would say I would say mostly for me running has contributed to my activism and organizing work just by like bringing me joy and filling up filling up my cup to be a happy healthy um grounded human who has the you know the energy to to keep on with the long distance slog that that organizing can be um you know we face so many setbacks and defeats along the way and it's exhausting work that a lot of folks burn out of really fast and so i think for me running has has been a gift as just like a place for my soul to to just go and connect with with the outdoors the trails and the places i love and yeah, get a lot out of that. Um, and then I guess more more recently, um, my brother Forrest, who's an amazing filmmaker, um, he followed Chloe, who um, is my good friend and, and co-conspirator, um, and now the youngest woman senator that Maine has ever had. Um, I was her campaign manager for the last two cycles, and my brother Forrest made a short film called Rural Runners that was just like, a fun and and human look at kind of life on the campaign trail um, blended with trail running and and kind of the metaphor of running for office and and running trails and we've been using using that as a tool to to help support candidates and, and other organizations in the lead up to the midterms a strong pun game with uh, the the political trail <laughs> or the, the yeah <laughs> running for office i love i love that um and you've run some pretty long distances. You did it UTMB this year. You're, you've chased FKTs. Talk to me about the overlap of, um, you said it just now, like it's a, it's a slog, whether it's running or whether it's campaigning and people burn out. And so mm-hmm. talk to me about the overlap of your ability to endure or you're in it for the long run. Uh, shameless podcast name plug intended. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> talk to me about talk to me about that and and how running helps fuel your ability to persist and endure. Yeah, I mean, I think probably every everyone listening to this relates relates in some way to just like how how powerful it is to commit to something to like plant your flag in the future, like whether that's a race four months down the line or eight months or what have you and know that know that you're going to do that thing and you're going to get to that finish line and it just making that commitment makes kind of everything or at least i find makes everything flow from there it's like okay i'm going to be doing this race and so i know that i'm going to be putting in the miles day in and day out to get there and organizing is kind of similar especially organizing around an election where it's like all right we're going ham until election day we're gonna we're gonna stack the hay in the barn and we're gonna give it everything we've got and leave leave everything out there on the course because um these are the days that count whether it's organizing or whether it's doing your workouts and um and i think there's there's something special about that time-bounded goal-oriented commitment where it's just like the process day in and day out to get there. And I think especially for me, blending, blending the two, um, you know, so much of my work is computer work on the campaigns. And so knowing that no matter what, I'm going to make the time to get outdoors and be in my body, on my feet, harvesting endorphins. <laughs> um, I think that's been really important for me just to, you know, stay yeah, stay grounded and stay stay in the work. Yeah, it's sustainability uh, with a with a different definition. Um, yeah. yeah, I found a lot of overlap between people who have really demanding jobs or their executive level or they, there's something outside of sport that they're incredibly passionate about, and the the process that they learn from running enables them to understand like it's not going to happen overnight. 
um, I, I enjoy talking with high performers in, in the business world or I guess in politics as well because they, they understand that. And a lot of times the, that connection isn't yet made in the brick by brick by brick way that creating anything uh, requires. And so it's cool to hear you apply that to, to the campaign trail and UTMB trail and <laughs> everything in between. Heck yeah. Yeah. I, I love that about our community. I, and I think, yeah, I think also like the trail running community in, in particular, I've noticed a really strong and growing environmental and, and activism bent that, um, you know, I don't think was, I'm not sure that it was there like five years ago, 10 years ago. And, and it's really cool to see just like so many, so many of kind of the pillars of, of the ultra running community and trail community are, are really, really active citizens and, and organizers. Um, and as well as some of the brands, you know, like Patagonia obviously comes to mind. Like that's, that's huge selling off the company and giving it, giving it all to to climate activism. Um, so that's something that, um, I find really inspiring about just being enmeshed in this community. Yeah. And it makes sense though, right? Like who is going to be most interested in protecting the earth? Well, probably those people who enjoy it the most and who spend a lot of time um, in nature. And this is the conversation, the initial conversation I had with Freedom Solar about potentially working together. I was like, look, trail runners care the most or trail runners care a lot about the ability to drive action and like, just get shit done and take take control of of the path, um, and so it's cool to see um, it's cool to see that actually happening. And then you have some really excellent people in the space who use their platform for good. And the more successful they are, the better they are able to actually have an impact. So I'm thinking about people like mm-hmm. Stephanie Howe, Abby Levine, Zoe Rome. Um, yeah. You know, people like that who are there are plenty more, and I always hate naming names because I'm I always you know forget people who are doing excellent things, and there are plenty of them out there. But just the way that these those three people in particular care so much about not just their own performance, but the performance of Mother Nature and the ability to to create change. Yeah, yeah, it's huge, and it ha- and it has. I think such a snowballing effect too. I think, you know, when you are just coming up as, as a young runner and you have so many role models, like, like a Stephanie, like a, an Abby, a Zoe, a, a Claire, a Peyton, uh, you know, the, the jerks are super outspoken. Like Killian just started a brand that, you know, I, I haven't dove too deep in it, but you know, the whole, the whole point of that is, is sustainability in the running community. And I think when you have a, a whole generation coming in with these, um, you know, these heroes of, of the sport setting such an example, I'm really just really excited to see what the next five years, 10 years down the line look like. For sure. Let's talk about you and your running a little bit more. Um, so you ran UTMB this year. What was that experience like? What were you thinking about the, on that start line? Um, <laughs> thinking about how crazy it was, it was just like <laughs> anyone who's been over there, it's, it is nothing like any trail race that you'll go to in, in the United States. They are, they are just, uh, they're excited about this <laughs> in a, in a way that I don't think we have quite built over here. It felt like the tour de France or something it was, um, it was a really cool experience. It starts at 6 PM, you know, and in Chamonix and, you are just running for hours and hours through just crowds of, of people lining the streets through all kinds of, of villages, just ringing cowbells and going crazy. Um, there's just such a cool energy around it. And then pretty quickly get into, into the night section, it gets dark and you're out in some, some fairly rugged train doing really long climbs up and over into Italy. And I think one of the more memorable parts of it for me is just like looking back during some of those climbs, taking glances 
over the shoulder and seeing headlamps just snaking for miles and miles into into the distance was a really cool feeling of of just connection to all of the folks doing the race. And yeah, it was I'd never been to that part of the world before. It was it's beautiful. It was it was really cool to be part of a race that competitive. It was a deep deep field um and yeah i personally i got to experience some some new challenges like throwing up for the first time during an ultra uh mile 89 or so and pushing through that was interesting and what was that what was that finish line like the finish line was nuts too yeah (laughs) they were just going crazy they uh they have such good live coverage which is really fun uh, especially for my mom and dad. <laughs> uh, and yeah, you know, the finish line felt felt just like the start in terms of just intense energy and folks out there through the night with, with folks coming in. And um, it was, yeah, it was just such a cool energy. If you've been enjoying this podcast and can spare 90 seconds of your time today, can you do me a favor? Can you pop over to Apple Podcasts and leave a review? It helps other people find and enjoy the podcast too. Thanks so much. Thanks again to Tracksmith for supporting For the Long Run and their continued support of not just this podcast, but the running community in general. Tracksmith is an independent running brand inspired by a deep love of the sport. They've been supporting this podcast since the fall of 2021, and I am so grateful for their help in making this pod possible. They've been able to continue to sponsor the show because listeners like you have been using my code, which is FTLR and gets you free shipping and a 5% donation to Bigger Than The Trail, which is a nonprofit organization using trail running as a platform to advocate for mental health. If you're looking for a non-monetary way to support the pod, consider leaving a review. It helps more people find it. Thanks again to Freedom Solar for supporting this episode of the podcast, as well as our desire for a greener energy source. The buying process was fascinating and so eye-opening, most notably how simple and cost-effective it can be. I'm excited to pay my learnings forward. If you're curious, message me on Instagram or Twitter, and I'd be happy to help you get in contact with some great resources or even just answer some questions. Freedom Solar is a full-service solar company installing solar panels and backup power systems since 2007. They operate in Texas, Colorado, Virginia, Florida, and now North Carolina too. My parents have the same panels from a different company in Massachusetts. More than a few friends and podcast listeners have already gone solar, and they're all so excited and happy with the process with Freedom Solar so far. I got to talk about this last season of training for a second. So while training for a CIM, I've hit the highest weekly mileage I've ever hit and highest monthly mileage I've ever hit. What's really cool about that is I feel awesome. I feel like I can just keep running and running and running, and I also have the energy for everything else in life. I haven't gotten sick, even despite those around me getting sick, not even the sniffles for me. And I obviously can't pin this on a single thing, but I've been really diligent about taking Prevanex's Immune Health Plus and Probiotic incredibly diligently. I've been taking that every single day since March and it's helping. So I encourage you to check it out and use code FTLR at checkout for 15% off at Prevanex.com. So we talked about the start line, which is epic, the finish line, which is apparently they changed up the music this year. So it wasn't just 30 plus hours of the same intense, uh, intense music. (laughs) Um, But let's talk, let's talk about in between Um, what kept you going during, during the race itself, particularly when things got hard uh, and you started puking at 89, you said. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean it it was definitely it was definitely one of the more challenging long long experiences I've had. I think that was maybe like my I want to say it's my fifth hundred or thereabouts. Um and one of the yeah, one of the more difficult ones in terms of just having a hard time finding my rhythm and going through a lot of a lot of ups and downs. But I think having the experience of of having done a handful, you just kind of you just kind of know that barring some epic catastrophe, that's one foot in front of the other, keep your fueling going. And, you know, you're just, you're just, you're going to make it. You just, you just know, know that you are. It's kind of back a little bit to that, making the commitment and, um, and knowing that the process is going to carry you through. 
Um, I did, I did question it a little bit post post puke. I was like, I threw up, felt great <laughs> right off the bat. I was like, all right, I'm heading out. Oh, fine. I'll take a few crackers, whatever. And then about a mile out of town, I, I ate a goo and it just did not sit in my stomach. And I was fighting nausea every couple steps for like 45 minutes and just could not imagine going the, another 15 miles or whatever it was to, to the finish, but um, just kept really slowly putting one foot in front of the other and eventually the, the stomach issues cleared out and I was able to start running again. Um, and then also the support system, my, my brother Forrest was able to come over and crew for me and just having his, his energy and support and love at the aid stations was yeah, super impactful for, for getting me through the, the hard, the hard parts and, um, really grateful for that. I was listening to um, Courtney DeWalter on the Swap podcast talk about why she chooses to have pacers and crew. And it's, yeah. she said for her, it's about making memories with these people. And it's got to be such a cool experience to like do it with friends, but I can only imagine doing it with someone you grew up with or family or your parents or whatnot. Um, was that part of what kept kept you going? you know, when you had 15 miles and you thought you were going to puke the rest of the way. And I know it's like, we all say, yeah, you just keep putting one foot in front of the other. And like, that is the <laughs> secret, but like, how do you do that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm, I mean, yeah, I loved, I loved that, that swap interview with, with Courtney and the subtext of that, of just like, yeah, I'm the, best freaking ever obviously she's super humble she doesn't say that but it's like yeah i'm the best ever i don't need dang pacers uh, but it's fun to make memories and like that's the the meaningful stuff of life and I, I resonated so much with that idea of just like yeah it's really about making these memories and um that's totally what what utmb with with forest was for me um you know he's He's the one that really got me into the longer distance running um, shortly after I graduated college. And we trained for our first 100 miler together and, and ran that together. Um, and yeah, you know, I think <laughs> what, what, how, how do you keep one foot in front of the other? I don't know. Uh, it's just kind of... <laughs> Yeah, it's like breathing at some point for for ultra runners. I think you just something you kind of do without thinking about at some point. It's just like I know the pain is going to stop if if I just keep going, and so you do. It's so fascinating, right? Like we choose this intense discomfort, and there's some I don't want to say glamour in the struggle, but yeah, like the type two fun is. Um, is so fun. <laughs> and it's, it's, I think if you could just line up for a race and run it and finish and PR every time, like we'd find other hobbies because it's, <laughs> it's like so pointless to just succeed at everything all of the time. And I think that's the, that's the piece that we can carry into life. Right. I forget what I was reading, but it, it basically said the same thing. It was like, um, maybe it was, no, Killian's thread was on something entirely different. It was basically like the point is we do this, we struggle, we grow. We do this, we struggle, we grow more. We do this, we struggle, we grow more. And it's just like raising the bar and raising the bar and raising the bar. And to me, that's the point. And then obviously the the sharing of it with with community, which is which is cool. And then as you elevate your platform through these types of awesome adventures, you can have that greater impact on um, society, right? Like right now we're looking at Kanye West and his comments about Jewish people. And we're seeing, um, we're seeing CAA drop him. We're seeing athletes mention that like they need to do something and somebody needs, Adidas needs to make some sort of statement. And put out a bunch of tweets about this stuff. And I got a comment saying like, I know you're just as invested as I am in this being Jewish. Um, but thank you for, for sharing it. And I'm like, what's the point of having a platform if you don't use it for good? I think it's extremely selfish that 
like we have we all have the ability to make an impact and if you choose not to i think you're you're wasting a an opportunity yeah heck yeah i mean i i totally agree man and i i think both in politics and in in running there's like there's some real magic to be to be found in the really dark times um it's really paradoxical but i think it's you know i think it's something that you see throughout philosophy and religion and you know the best the best epics and and tales of of our time or or any time is like that that darkness whether it's puking your guts out at uh 89 <laughs> in in a race and knowing you got 15 brutal miles to go and how the heck could you possibly do it or whether it's you know having someone elected that makes you like seriously seriously scared for for the future of your country or the world it's like those kind of like really deeply challenging or or dark or potentially rock bottom feeling times can just do something to us as as individuals or and or as as a collective that make us come come out the side the other side with um just changed for for the better i you know i think with the like thinking about 2016 in particular for for me it was just like i'd i'd organized so hard in the lead up to that election and then it was just like wow we got um you know from my perspective like we lost we lost hard across the board and it was really tough and then um but it like shook so many folks to their core and i have never had more you know more friends and acquaintances just reaching out being like what can i do to get more involved and i think it really it really shifted my generation in a, in a huge way to pay attention more to politics and get more engaged and um in a in a way that is largely sustained all the way all the way up until today you know six six years later and so i think yeah just kind of a <laughs> i guess just a shout out to to those dark slogs for sure so someone who's listening to this might be wondering okay i now understand that local politics regional politics national politics are important or is important and it's that's the way we make the systemic change what would you say to that person listening who is interested in like actually taking a step and doing something to make make an impact dive in commit plant that flag um and like you know all this is so dependent on where you're coming at it from like what's you know what's the kind of impact that that you feel like you are well suited to make or that you have the fire to to jump into you know if if you're just starting with like registering to vote and you know taking that simple action of just like voting for the first time then like heck yeah more power to you like that's important we're all starting from different places if you come from like a really conservative community and and identify with what we're talking about with climate and environment and i feel like you can have productive conversations to shift some of your community there like that's awesome or if you're like me and you're in a little bit more of a <laughs> liberal echo chamber then you know maybe you can can use those connections to to raise money for organizations or candidates who are fighting the fight, or maybe you can get organized and move an institution that you're a part of or find a, a local or state level candidate to get really involved with, you know, work on, work on their campaign. I've been in campaign work for, you know, the better part of the last seven years. And, you know, if you have the opportunity to work for a campaign or for a climate organization. I think that's super fulfilling work and um, would definitely encourage folks to dive in. Right now we're in the home stretch to election day, obviously. So one of the most important things that you could do is offer your time to go to door to door and help get out the vote for candidates. Like those face-to-face -face conversations are one of the 
most important things. Um, that was, you know, that was how Chloe won in, in 2018 in a district that had a 16 point Republican advantage. It was all about those face to face connections. Um, and then, you know, huge plug for think about running for office. If that's at all in your like back of your mind or, or something that, you know, feels within reach, whether that's local school board or, or running for the state house or for Congress. Um, I think there's a huge, huge feeling of like, Oh, I've got to have everything figured out before I jump into something like that. I know even Chloe felt that way, um, despite being, you know, (laughs) the brilliant activist that she is and you don't have to have it all figured out. You, you figure it out along the way and there's, tons of resources to support you. And the biggest thing that we can do to make politics better is encouraging good people to run for office. So if you're one of those good people, (laughs) think about stepping up and, you know, taking one for the team and it can be such a fulfilling process and and you can have such a huge impact at, at the local level or state level or beyond. For sure. So let's fast forward uh, and thank you for sharing that. I think um, we hear so much about this stuff being important and it's missing the the call to action of like, okay, now what? What do you what do you actually do? How do I internalize this information and not just be like, cool, thanks for sharing, Canyon, but like thanks for sharing and I have a plan now. So I think that part um, is critically important. Um, so thank you for sharing that. Um, yeah. Let's let's fast forward uh, a few years. Let's say five years. What are you What are you really proud of accomplishing mm. that hasn't happened yet? Yeah. Um, let's see. So, um, so I come at so much of this from specifically a rural lens, where Chloe's from, where we've done our campaign work the past five years. It's Lincoln County, Maine. It's 100 percent rural. Tide is the most rural county in in Maine, which is the most rural state. Um, and so it's been that's been a huge part of our journey of is like, all right, is it possible as a couple of like young, pretty far left, um, like climate activists to organize successfully in rural America in a fairly conservative district? Um, you know, I think there's a pretty pervasive feeling of like Democrats have no chance from the get-go organizing in rural America. And, you know, if they do have a chance, they have to be kind of like a Joe Manchin type um, conservative character to, to do that. And Chloe's, Chloe's wins, I think, are a huge challenge to, to that idea, showing that you can run and win as a progressive Democrat in conservative rural districts. Um, and so... Yeah, I think five years from now, would love to be really active in supporting other folks to do that, to, whether it's other young folks moving back to their small hometowns and running for office or folks that are already on the ground doing this, doing this work to be able to support more progressive rural organizing. Chloe and I just started an organization called Dirt Road Organizing, which is also where folks can see the film if they're interested dirtroadorganizing.org and yeah our our hope is to take a lot of the lessons that we've learned through blood sweat and tears over over the past 6 years doing this and be able to train other folks and and mentor them in doing similar work very cool what is um what does success look like or mean to you Ooh, as like an individual? Yeah. Mm. Um, I would say, man, that's a great question. I love that. I want to hear your, I want to hear your answer too. <laughs> I would, I would say for me, like the first thing that comes to mind is relationships. You know, I think, I think of myself first and foremost as, as a really good friend and, you know, son and brother. And I think, yeah, having, having meaningful experiences with the people that I'm closest with um, is the most important thing. And then, you know, success in, in other parts of life, I think is just like setting, making bold claims about the future, kind of back to 
to that commitment and and finding ways to to follow through on them with integrity and um and passion and yeah hopefully hopefully building a lot of positive community along the way and having fun (laughs) cool Um, i love that yeah how about you so to me it's the last conversation and I, I reference this frequently the last conversation I ever had with my grandfather was him telling me his view on the meaning of life and his view on the meaning of life after 80 plus years was leaving the world a better place than when you entered it and that's that like very subjective yeah. very broad and you're in control of that process. And to me, I think success is we need, we need broad goals like that. Like this is, this is my North star. This is how I live my life. If I do that, I'm successful. And we need little carrots along the way that, that help us um, check those boxes on a daily, weekly, monthly, yearly basis um, that provide that feedback loop of, are we on our way? Or does do we need to adjust? And so mm. that realization came from talking with a lot of pro athletes about process versus outcome, specifically a conversation I had with Kat Bradley on the topic around, um, I, was, I asked her, is it all process or can you be outcome focused as well? And her answer was structured in a similar way. It was, focused on the process with little check-ins to sort of um, guide, but not instruct the paths to take and the, you know, little check-ins to make sure you're, you know, doing the things that you need to be doing. And so I sort of apply that to, to the way that I, or you asked that question of success is broadly doing the right thing and giving the people in the future are better experienced than we have today, which directly ties into environmentalism and joy and happiness and all this stuff, but also the like micro, the micro events that make that all possible. Mm. Mm, I love that. Yeah. I really love the, the tying in, especially of like environmentalism and thinking specifically about like, how do we leave the world a better place for those that follow us? and including like joy in that equation um there's a awesome edward abbey quote that i don't have quite memorized but it's you know to that effect of it's it's so important to fight for the land but it's even more important to enjoy it while while it's here um so breathe 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 deep of that yet sweet and lucid air and be as i am a part-time crusader a half-hearted enthusiast um and i feel like i feel like those are yeah those are good tenants to live by of bringing bringing the joy and and the fight together i love that um canyon thanks so much for taking some time to chat today for those who uh, want to follow you in your adventures on the on the the running trails and the campaign trail where can we find you um, I'm on, on Instagram, um, and Twitter. I don't really know how to use Twitter, but, uh, Canyon Woodward on Nobody does. Instagram. Yeah. <laughs> um, and yeah, dirtroadorganizing.org. Um, that's where you can plug into more of this, um, organizing stuff. If you're interested, see the film Rural Runners. And, um, if you have even an inkling of wanting to run for office or um, get involved with a campaign or, or something like that, please reach out and I'd be thrilled to, thrilled to have conversations around that. Awesome. Thank you so much and we'll see you out there. Thanks a ton for having me on, Jonathan. Of course. We're going to be getting into some listener questions in the next couple episodes going forward. So if you have questions that you'd love to hear answered, please send them our way either to jwlevitt on Instagram or for the LR pod on Instagram. The first question is, how do you step up in distance? In episode 166 with Shelby Johnson, she said, stepping up in distance is often scary, but we shouldn't let fear keep us from trying. The best advice I have for stepping up in distance is one of two things. The first is just do it. Dive in head first. My first race was a marathon. 
and I did a half marathon in training for it. I had never raced a 5K. I never raced a 10K. Uh, just went went all in, and and that was that. I didn't didn't really know any better. Didn't know what I was getting myself into. Um, but as of now, I'm thinking of stepping up in distance to the 50K and eventually beyond. And a lot of the guidance I've gotten from both this podcast and from my friends who have who have done it is really just shift perspectives and think about the things that um, the things that enable a successful marathon or half marathon. All of that applies when you step up in distance. So thinking about consistency, thinking about extending the long run. A lot of coaches will will not go super far on the long run and really just focus on building up on a weekly volume basis. So understand what your body can sustain. Don't really go beyond that. Um, but even for, for a 50K or 50 miler, most people aren't doing their long run beyond 22, 24, even you know, 26 miles. It comes down to adding some additional stress after that run. So you do your long run on Saturday and then maybe a medium long run of 75% of that distance on Sunday. And then take it easy on on Monday for sure. But it really comes down to little steps and and consistency and understanding that really anything is possible and it's often our mind that is the limiting factor. And with that, enjoy. That's it for today's episode. Like many long runs, it's sad when it has to end. I hope you join in next time on For the Long Run. And in the meantime, happy trails. If you enjoyed this episode, it would mean a lot to me if you shared it so that others can find it and enjoy it too. This podcast and the accompanying music has been produced by Brian Walters of Single Track Sound. For the Long Run's logo was created by Vanessa Wolf of Sterling Wolf. Show notes have been written by Ruby Wiles and is managed by Emily Holland. It takes a village. 